0: It is worth giving God praise and glory for. Uh, you know, as I was coming in uh, this morning, I saw evidence of of all those little hands uh, with the drawings in the driveway, and it just blessed my heart uh, to know that we are that we that we were able to to um, have such a glorious event last week. Um, my name is Caesar. I'm one of the pastors here, also the pastor for Celebrate Recovery. And um, if this is your first Sunday with us, welcome, as I always say in Celebrate Recovery, it's by divine grace and purpose that you are here, and we thank God for your presence. It is not by accident, but by, di- by divine purpose that you're here. Um, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, and as David said, um, it is a very important role uh, for me uh, personally and uh, in all of our lives. And so uh, happy Father's Day. Um, Before I uh, preach, I I spoke with Pastor Mike and also to Pastor David, and and I know that we will have a response for the violence that we witnessed um, last week. And so Pastor Mike said that that one of the church's responses would be to send bracelets uh, to Mother Emanuel African American Episcopal Church. Um, And so... Before um, I preach, I want us to bless these bands. Um, you know, I oftentimes have the opportunity to do weddings. And, you know, um, as, I, as I bless the rings, there's, a, there's one part in that blessing where you say this is an outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And these bands are an outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace. That signifies God's presence with us. And so, will you join me uh, in praying and blessing the bands that we will send in response to the violence that we saw for the people in South Carolina? Almighty and gracious God, we come before you in the humblest way we know how. We come asking for your grace and your peace to be with us this day, that you would give us your strength your wisdom, and your guidance. God, we come because we don't know why things happen the way they do. We come because you said that you would never leave us nor forsake us. So God, we pray in this time when there at Mother Emmanuel African American Methodist Episcopal Church will be services without their pastor today we pray that in this time that your grace will be big enough so God we pray for Reverend Clemente Panicki we pray for Daniel Simons we pray for DePain, Middleton Doctor we pray for Tawanza Sanders we pray for Cynthia Hurd we pray for Susan Jackson. We pray for Ethel Lance. We pray for your peace to be with us. And we pray for your wisdom and your guidance. We pray for Merrill Thompson. We pray for Sharonda Singleton. And then God we pray, we pray that you would encompass them with your grace and your peace. We pray for your wisdom and guidance, and we pray that in the palm of your hands you would hold their spirits. And then God, we pray. We pray for the shooter and the killer, Daniel Daniel and Ruth. We pray, God, that your grace And your spirit of redemption will be with him. God, if your grace is strong enough for us, then it's strong enough to keep us from sin. Be with us this day. And then, God, we will be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you think with me uh, for a few minutes on this thought, the power of a faithful hero, power of a faithful hero? Let me pray. Almighty and gracious God, now as as we enter into this time of hearing, we ask now that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would once again rescue me from me, That you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable in your righteous sight. And then, God, we will be mindful, mindful in all things, give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. with the recent racially motivated shooting death of nine African-American parishioners at Mother Emanuel African-American African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and with the shooting death of twenty first graders at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown, Connecticut, and with the terroristic bombing that maimed runners and killed runners at the Boston Marathon and with the tragic mass shooting death of 24 moviegoers in a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado and with the unjust shooting death of Walter Scott by a North Carolina police officer and the retaliatory shooting death of two police officers with the New York Police Department. These events along with other unnamed events and killings and scandals and fraudulent behavior highlight for us that we are experiencing in our culture a spiritual famine and moral deprivation. And while historically violence is something that we've always struggled with in our human condition, it seems to me that these killings, these rash of killings, along with other unnamed shootings and and scandals, are all a manifestation of the real spiritual brokenness and moral depravity that we are experiencing in our lives so when the place where we should feel the safest doesn't feel safe anymore, I would submit to you that we are experiencing spiritual famine and moral depravity. When we have lost faith in our oldest and dearest institutions because the moral fiber for which we have placed our trust has begun to unravel, we are experiencing in them spiritual famine and moral Depravity. When our political rhetoric is used to build fences to maintain great divides and narrow interests, rather than building bridges of building bridges of connections to 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 our common humanity, we are experiencing spiritual famine and moral deprivation. When bottom lines and win at all costs mentality permeates our business culture more than the interest of fair gain and ethical business practices, we are experiencing spiritual famine and moral depravity. And when our spiritual institutions are more in love with their systems of polity and religiosity and piety more than they are interested in being in love with God and the people that God has called us to serve, I must admit to you, my sisters and brothers, that we are experiencing spiritual famine and moral depravity. Like Naomi, we are left thirsty and hungry for meaning. And so as a result of this pain and as a result of this loss and as a result of this spiritual famine and as a result of this depravity, just like Naomi, we struggle to maintain our holy connections we struggle to maintain our identity by, by holding on, by by holding on to the stuff as opposed to holding on to the belief that God has enough love and, and God has enough love to correct the sin of this world. Thus, we find ourselves like Naomi wanting to close ourselves off from our holy and loving community. And fill our spiritual bellies with the familiar stuff of this world that cannot satisfy our deepest longings or hopes. So like Naomi, we say to that Ruth-like optimism, go to your own country and find your own way because my hope is without hope and my dreams are all been dreamt and my life has been lived. But the good news, the good news, the good news in the midst of all of this depravity and in the midst of this, in the midst of this famine, the good news is that there is a Ruth like optimism that seeks radical hospitality for us and won't leave us alone to our own devices. Nor will she let us play alone in our own pity party but rather she urges us through the optimism of her spirit and the integrity of her soul to stay the course by saying to our weak and weary spirit, Stop telling me to leave. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Likewise, there is a world that is thirsty for spiritual renewal and moral integrity for its soul. And we who are the recipients of this amazing grace must do like Ruth and become the unlikely hero to a broken Naomi world. Walking with her through her pain to the way through through her journey to lead her journey to a life of grace and love. Yes, we must rise up and say to this thirsty and hurting world, we won't leave you nor will we ever forsake you because the love that is radically present for us calls us to be in radical, be radically present for you. Deuteronomy 31 and 6 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God is with you, you with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So when we see brokenness, we must be determined to become that Ruth, to share that Ruth like optimism so that blessing, so that blessing in life will be made known. So the question, and there's always a question from the preacher. So the question for us this day, the question for us this day in the face of of heartbreaking violence, is how do we become the unlikely hero to a broken world? How do we become like Ruth, who radically shows up for a broken Naomi? How do we become this Ruth-like optimism that God is calling us to, or more importantly, how is God calling you to become an unlikely hero? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that our story of brokenness connects us with the story of a broken world. That our story of brokenness connects us with the story of a broken world. We all have brokenness in our lives. We all have stuff in our lives. I'm the pastor for Celebrate Recovery. And if you come on Thursday nights, you you will hear me say this all the time. I say this, I I have more junk in my trunk. I'm tore up from the floor. I got skeletons in the closet. I got all kind of stuff in my life. I have all kind of brokenness in my life. Because I know that my brokenness connects with the brokenness of the rest of the world. Romans 3, 23 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. From the pulpit to the pew, we all have sin in our lives and we all have brokenness in our lives. Our story of brokenness is what makes us human and it is the thing that connects us to a broken world. Look at this passage. As we look at this passage of Ruth, as we look at Ruth's response to Naomi, Ruth responds to Naomi because she knows Naomi's brokenness. She knows what it's like to sit on the edge of society and, and not have a possible future because she's lost her husband. She knows what it's like to feel the pain of losing someone you life and love. And she knows what it feels like to live in a foreign land. And yet her story refuses to let her leave. Naomi sighed. Charles V. Gherkin, he argues this in his book, Reclaiming the Human Document. And I love what he has to say about our stories. And he says this. He says, pastoral counselor is not just a listener to a story, but he or she is also a bearer of, of stories and a story. The pastoral counselor does not come empty-handed to the task of understanding others' stories and offering the possibilities of new interpretation. The pastoral counselor brings his or her own interpretation of life experience with its use of both commonly held symbols and images and themes that have shaped the pastoral counselor's own life experience. Our stories... Our stories of brokenness is what connects us to a broken world, and it is the thing that brings healing to brokenness. The second thing that we need to know about this passage or that we need to to glean from this passage in in terms of answering this question of how to become an unlikely hero is is that for a radically broken world, it requires a radically present love that a radically broken world requires a radically present love healing begins healing begins with the holy divine with love from God, it begins with love from God. And, and if, love is, if healing is going to happen in this world, if healing is going to happen in places like Charleston, South Carolina, if healing is going to happen in Mansfield, Texas, if healing is going to happen in any of our lives, it happens because God loves us. It happens that God loves us, and that healing comes from the love of God. But it also requires that we radically show up and that we are radically present with this amazing love. I love the Greek language and what the Greeks and how they describe the how they describe this love that I'm talking about, this, this love that, that, that is goodwill and that is divine. They, they, they call this love agape, and I love Dr. Martin Luther King's description of agape and what he says about agape. And here's Dr. Martin Luther King's description of agape he says, Agape is love that seeks creative, redemptive goodwill. That it is a love that is seeking, it is a love that is moving, it is a love that is always searching to provide creative, redemptive goodwill. This love that seeks creative, redemptive goodwill not only seeks goodwill for the just, but it also seeks goodwill for the unjust. This love not only seeks love for the ones who lost their lives, but it also seeks love for the one who took their lives. This goodwill, this love that constantly seeks, this love that is seeking, this love that is searching, is searching to create redemption in all of our lives. And the power, and the power of this amazing grace, and the power of this love doesn't show up when we're good. It shows up when we're bad. Paul puts it this way. He says, just at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly for rarely will anyone die for a righteous person but some might dare to die for a good person but God died, sent his son, Jesus died while we were yet sinners and if we are going to be all that God has called us to be it means that we have to radically show up in places with this amazing grace and love so that God's presence will be made known the third thing that we need to know is to affect change you don't have to change the whole world you just need to affect change in the life of one now I love the fact that we we have institutions that affect changes in the life of, of of hundreds of and thousands of people and I love the fact that we can do a lot here in the church collectively But we can also do a lot when we, each one of us, take responsibility and we respond to a broken world to change the life of one. There's a Jewish proverb that says this, He who saves a single life saves the world entire. He who saves a single life saves the world entire. The person who saves a single life saves the world entire. It's good to do, it's good to be able to affect change in broad and broad spans, but it's also good to affect change in one life at a time. The fourth and final thing that we need to know is that blessing is always the fruit of radical hospitality. Blessing is always the fruit of radical hospitality because. In radical hospitality, God always has the last word. In radical hospitality, God always has the last word. That God always shows up when when we show up, when we show up with a heart full of love, when we show up with a heart full of love, regardless of what we've faced in our lives, regardless of what it is that we've experienced in our lives, at the end of the day, we receive blessing because God always has the last word. Galatians 6 7 says this be not deceived, for God is not marked. Whatever a man sows, what whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And if we are doing the good work of loving and allowing ourselves to be conduits of God's grace and leaning into God's grace and letting God's grace work through us, then in the end, blessing is the fruit of our labor. As we look at our passage and as we read this book, we realize how God not only blessed Naomi by by Ruth's actions, but how God blessed Ruth through the work that she did, through the way that she cared, through how she radically showed up and loved Naomi in her journey. Ruth shows up and blessing happens. Jesus shows up for us that way in a Ruth-type way to to continue to give us blessings so that we may experience life. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about all the Ruths that have shown up in my life, all those people who had that Ruth-like optimism and they showed up in my life in so many different ways. I think about my great grandmother Mommy Annie and my great grandfather Papa Joe and my grandmother Evelyn and my grandmother my grandfather Daddy Lewis and my mom and my dad and I think about all my aunts and uncles, Aunt Ruby, Aunt Joanne, Uncle Peach and Uncle Plum and all those people who showed up in my life and was constantly speaking words of optimism in my life regardless of where I was and who I was. but Probably one of the most significant relationships that I have in my life is a good friend, and his name is Dr. Luckett. I met Dr. Luckett, and I have a picture of Dr. Luckett I want to share with you. I met Dr. Luckett in 1974 when we moved from Kansas City, Kansas, to Marshall, Texas, and we were moving from Marshall, Texas to Hartshorn, Oklahoma. And Dr. Luckett was a dentist in Hartshorn, Oklahoma, a small town in Hartshorn, about 3,500 people. I always say population two chickens and a duck. <laughs> we eat up one part of that population around Christmas time. But Dr. Luckett was a dentist in our hometown, and I met Dr. Luckett after after journey, journeying from from Kansas City when my when when my dad fell sick and and wasn't and and my parents weren't able to take care of us and and there was a time that we almost ended up in the foster care system and my grandmother my grandmother came to to Oklahoma and then brought us to to Texas to live with her for a year where my parents were able to recoup and then then we moved to Harts on Oklahoma and so as a young child I had already had all of this experience of loss and all of this stuff that I had experienced. And here I landed in Hartson, Oklahoma with my large extended family and, and all of those all of the people that were around me. And I met Dr. Luckett at the dentist office, at his dentist office in 1974. I remember as I walked into his office and he looked at the he looked at the order and he saw my name. He looked and he said, Caesar Renty. And then he looked at me and he said, he said, now are you the same Caesar that my my daughter talks about because she said there's a giant in the school and his name is Caesar (laughs) (laughs) Renty. And Dr. Luckett became a friend that day. He became a real friend to not only me, but he also became a friend to our family. He... When, our, when, when there were times when there wasn't enough in our family to eat, I remember there were times when he brought groceries to our house. He became a real friend. I remember there were times when I was growing up and my family didn't have enough money to pay for shoes. I remember him telling me, hey, just go to the store, get what you want, it'll be taken care of. I remember when there wasn't enough to pay for the lights or to keep the heat on, Dr. Luckett filled the gap he became a real friend to our family. But Dr. Luckett became a father one Sunday to me. When I went to church with him in Adams, I went to a small church with him. as a small rural church. And I remember he invited me to come to church, and I was all excited to go. And I remember going with him. And as I went to the worship and worshiped with him at, at, at this church, I remember we, we came home and then... The next Sunday, I remember I wanted to go to church with them again, and he told me, he said, we're not going to that church anymore. I asked him why, and he said, well, because somebody told me that you weren't welcomed. He said, you weren't welcomed because you were black. And he said, I talked to the pastor, and the pastor didn't have a response, and so I said, if they don't see you, then they won't see me. Now, I remember, Dr. Luckett that day became not only a friend but became an elder and, and became a father in my life. And he would speak all kinds of things in my life. And I remember as a sixth grade boy, as I was, as I was growing and, and, you know, all the things that you go through. And I remember getting into the seventh grade and I remember starting to play football. And Dr. Luckett, as I, as I started to play football, I, I loved playing sports, basketball, running track, doing whatever it was. And I started playing football, realized I was a good football player because I could knock people down. I was bigger than they were. I would hit them and they fall down. And I was like, you're good, man. <laughs> Didn't take much to be good, you know, I just like, boom, you fell, job done. But Dr. Luckett would speak to me all the time, and he would say to me, he says, Caesar, he says, do you know that you could go to college on a scholarship? Do you know that you could get a degree? Do you know that you can play pro ball? Do you know that you could be able to leave Hartshorn and go live a life that you've never lived before? And he would speak this to me, which sounded like foreign language to me. And we laugh about it all the time because i tell him, I said, Dr. Luggett, when you used to say that stuff to me, I'd scratch my head and say, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> but he would speak these words into my life. He would say, I'm going where you're going. I'm not going to leave you. I will be with you, radically be with you. And he showed up in my life. And I remember as I went through junior high and as I went through high school, all of a sudden there were coaches calling. There were schools coming. And Dr. Luck had helped me decide on a school, and I remember as I, as I finally settled on going to OU, we had this big party at his house, and I signed a letter of intent with the University of Oklahoma to go play football at the University of Oklahoma with Barry Switzer and the Oklahoma Sooners, and I remember as an 18-year-old kid how, exciting I, how excited I was and how Dr. Luckett said, I know you can do it. You can go to college and you can, you can make it through college and you can, you can graduate and you can get your degree. I remember, you know, when I was in school, I, I, tell, I tell my kids all the time, look, if you can graduate, if, if I graduate from school, you, I know you can graduate from school. <laughs> when I was in school, I'd, I'd tell them i tell my I was in special reading, special writing, special arithmetic, ate special case cereal in the morning. That's how special I was. Every special class they had, if it was a special underwater BB stacking class, I was in it. (laughs) And I remember Dr. Luckett had this amazing confidence in my ability that I did not see. And he kept saying to me, you can graduate from college, which sounded and sounded so foreign to me. And I remember he said to me, he says, now here's a few words of advice that I'm going to give you, I'm going to share with you when you get ready to go to school. I remember as I got ready, and I remember, you know, I'm, I had my, my the, uh, a friend we we rode to, to college together, and I remember having all my stuff packed, and and after I said bye to my parents, I went to Dr. Luckett's house, and I remember this conversation we had, just like it had having yesterday. He says, "Now there's," he says, "You got to understand, this is what you got to do." He says, "Number one, you got to show up for class." He said, that class is at six o'clock, five o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning. He says, you have to be there if you want to graduate. I'm oh, like, okay, nope, nope. Be, be in class. <laughs> and then he said, and then when you get to class, he says, he says, don't go sit in the back of the class. He says, where you need to go is go to the front of the class and sit in the front of the class, closest to the pro- professor and the instructors you can. Make sure that you are, that you are right there. I said okay, and then he said, and then the next thing you need to do is, he says, once you find that person, and once you get in the class and you're sitting in the front of the class, he says, then the next thing you need to do is you look around and you find the person who's most engaged in the subject, taking the most notes, and they're and they're asking the most, asking all the good questions, and he said you identify that person and you become friends with that person, and you'll graduate. Five years later, (laughs) I graduated with the B.A. in interpersonal communications. And on that graduation day, both of my parents and my great-grandparents and all of my family, they showed up because I was the first person to graduate in my family. And Dr. Luckett was there. And he said, see, I told you, you could do it. He said, I told you, you could do it. He was standing there with my mom and dad, and people were kind of looking, and he had this big old button that said Cesar Renti 77, uh, father, and people were looking like, he's like, I'm the white daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but he showed up in my life, and he spoke these words that, into my life before, before, before I even understood or knew what they were or what they meant. And then after my college days were over with and I got drafted by the Chicago Bears, I told Dr. Luckett, man, I'm going to Chicago. He says, you're going to do good. He says, just give it everything you got. I know you're going to do it. I remember after six weeks of training camp and, all the things that I had gone through. And when the roster was finally cut down to the starting 47 folks, I remember going into the locker room looking for my name and finding my name on the list. And I remember leaving that locker room, running to the press office and grabbing the phone and calling Heartstone, Oklahoma, Dr. Luckett's office. And saying, Dr. Luckett, I'm a bear. I made the team. And he said, I knew you could do it. When I got married and went through a divorce, Dr. Luckett was there. When I had my kids, Dr. Luckett see, you're gonna be a good dad. When my mom died, Dr. Luckett was there to console me. When my dad died, he was there to put his hands around me. When I got remarried and married Cynthia, He met Cynthia, and he said, Woo, boy, you kicked way outside your boundaries. She is too pretty for you. (laughs) And then when I got promoted to vice president of pastoral care for Methodist Health Systems, he said, I knew you could do it. Dr. Luckett's radical presence in my life spoke words and blessings into my life. And to this day, it's been one of the most important relationships that I've had. There is a world that needs radical, radical love needs a love that will radically show up to a broken world, that will speak into this world words of healing and wholeness, that will speak to this world the things that we already know will happen. And my hope, my hope for all of us, my brothers and sisters, my hope for all of us is that we, if we show up with that name, if we show up with that Ruth-like optimism, then we can provide healing for a Naomian world. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your amazing grace that meets us once again in this holy place. We thank you for all the roots that have shown up in our lives. We thank you for your love and your peace. So God, be with us. Be with us as we make ourselves present in this broken world. And then, God, we will be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name
1: of Jesus Christ. Amen.